Welcome to Illegal Double Team. We are Jonathan and Christina Snowden, and we love professional wrestling. Hi, Jonathan. Hello, Christina. How are you? I'm fine. I'm spending all of my time trying to avoid getting whatever plague the kids currently have. I had it earlier. Uh, it's not pleasant. So uh, I'm the last man standing. You really are. It's been pretty amazing to see your, your resilience in the face of uh, <laughs> the utter devastation of the rest of, of the family. Well, I, I credit it's kind of it. like the Highlander. You're like the Highlander as he watches his loved ones grow old and die. <laughs> I credit it all to my crazy running and freezing weather. I think I'm just freezing out all the germs. Is that it? I'm, I'm killing them. I'm not going to try it, though. I'd rather be sick. <laughs> so, professional wrestling. <laughs> yes. How's it been going? Pretty good? Yeah, this is kind of a quiet time of year. I remember it from last year. Yeah. Um, We're just sort of like waiting for the first of the year and um you know then everything kind of comes in like what feels like quick succession you start with wrestle kingdom and then royal rumble and then you're getting ready for wrestlemania and it's all kind of crazy in the springtime Um, but right now it's kind of quiet the calm before the storm yeah they're like hey it's christmas new year's you don't need wrestling i mean you don't need a lot of wrestling you just need some wrestling crazy now um but, so, we, we don't have a lot to monologue about. True. So, you want to move right into the top five? Yeah, sounds good. Five, four, three, two, one, fire. All right. So, number five. Something that we just watched. Literally just got done Seconds watching. Seconds ago, we were watching uh, the latest edition of AEW Dark, which is all of the wrestling's YouTube version of their television show right so uh, the premise as you can tell from the title is that they show dark matches these are matches that are normally only seen by folks in the arena right so um except by the very nature of having the show they're not actually dark matches right so it's not really (laughs) AEW dark but we'll overlook that okay so um we i've just found out having talked to you uh briefly uh prior to doing this podcast that we may be uh you're, you're maybe not a big AEW Dark enthusiast. Yeah, I, I don't actually usually find anything on that show that um, that excites me or that I really like. Um, you know, I like occasionally that you get to see Kenny on there um, if he wasn't you're on very, Dynamite. You're very Kenny-focused. I, I mean, yeah, it's that's true. That's what I'm watching these shows for. Um, but, uh, but I agree with you. This last match uh, here on this latest edition, I really enjoyed yeah, so the main event of this uh, week's edition of AEW Dark was the Best Friends, along with Orange Cassidy, uh, taking on uh, Angelico, Jack Evans, and Pac mm-hmm. and, uh, in a six-man tag match that was just surprisingly uh, delightful, I thought. Yeah, I, I'm not going to say surprisingly. I mean, you've got Orange Cassidy, who gets an amazing crowd reaction, and if you actually get him in the ring, you know you're going to get um, something fun. And then you have Pac, and I mean... I'll watch Pac wrestle anybody. Like, he's amazing. So well, it didn't surprise me. Um, it's just uh, I was nice to see that uh, they gave it a, a lot of time and they gave it a lot of effort despite being, you know, a dark match. And uh, it was just a lot of fun. I thought this was uh, kind of like them testing out how they might incorporate Orange Cassidy into a, a more typical wrestling scenario because he did the most wrestling that he's done I think in AEW as yet, and uh, right, you know, so uh, trying to find a way to to keep to be true to his hands in the pocket gimmick, mm-hmm. uh, while also like doing some things that 
made sense in the context of a wrestling match. Right. And juxtapositioning him with like super serious back yeah. was just a lot of fun. It was really funny. And they had um, uh, Vicky Guerrero and Joey Janela on commentary along with Excalibur. And uh, I, you know, I enjoyed their, their commentary as well. Like uh, they both seemed to just be having a blast watching the match. And, and I like when you can hear that in the guest commentators' voices. Like, when you know, like, for real, they're really enjoying what they're watching. It is a pleasure to watch uh, professionals enjoying themselves yeah. as, they, as they work. And that was what I think made this match um, so, so much fun. Because I think that, you know, the, your typical kind of, like, work rate fan or whatever may not have enjoyed that match as much as we did, although it was well executed as well. Yeah. But... Um, uh, it's just uh, it's the kind of energy that AEW brings that I think makes it stand out from from others in in the wrestling industry. It's just like you can tell this is these people are enjoying this, right? And that's part of I think that's maybe part of the problem that I have generally with Dark is that you don't get as much energy on the show because uh, it's people sometimes further down the card. The matches, you know, seem to have less import, which, of course, just makes sense. That's why they're on dark. And a lot of times the crowd is, you know, not – it's not your typical AEW crowd. So, you know, they might be a little out of it. They might be a little quiet. And uh, so sometimes I feel like the energy level on that show is not where I like it to be. Uh, but for this match, the crowd was there. Well, I think they've had some some pretty special matches on Dark. Uh, oh yeah, they've the of the dev- year. yeah they've had a handful. In particular, the the Kenny Omega Joey Janela match was uh, one of the better AEW matches of the entire yes. year. So uh, you know you never know exactly what you're going to get. And the other thing that I like about it is that it, it's in, it's taken over the role that used to be uh, held by the Road Two series. So like when yes. Uh, when I, I guess I kind of think of these as separate teams in a way, although they're starting to, to meld together a little right. bit more than they have. But, uh, you know, there's Cody's team and there's the Young Bucks team. Mm-hmm. And Cody's team in Atlanta uh, films a, a lot of the stuff for Dark. And these are like the video packages right. that you see. And some of these are really good. Like yes. last week they had one for uh, Big Swole. Right. That like was, really made me want to root for Big Swole. Oh, yeah. I mean, th- I mean this is... A reason that I will always watch the show like you know even if the advertised matches are maybe not something that I'm particularly excited about I'm always going to watch AEW Dark because of of these vignettes that they put on there and it's fun to to listen to the commentary like you said because it's a it's a different person joining Excalibur every week Mm -hmm. and uh you know they always bring something slightly distinct right to the table but I think we haven't really had a truly bad one yet and uh, some of them have been legitimately really good to make like good enough to make you think like, uh, wow, I'd like to hear like Excalibur and Taz <laughs> call. Oh a yeah, lot of I really, I really, I remember, I really enjoyed Taz. I thought Dustin did a good job. Uh, even you know Nyla Rose, she cracked me up a couple of times. Yeah, and MJF was on there, and then Vicky Guerrero this week. Yes, like, uh, I, I kind of enjoyed her thirsty cougar act i maybe it's not an act right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, she maybe could have toned it down a little bit uh, but uh it is what it is but uh as they say in the business but uh i i really like the the show i think it's a good companion to dynamite uh, it's not uh comparable you know it's definitely right. the b show yes like this is the world wcw worldwide uh it's definitely not nitro <laughs> um, so take that for what it's worth. But uh, I, I thought that the, this match in particular was standout enough that it's worth mentioning. Yeah. So number four, this was a match that we saw on uh, Indi- no Fight TV. 
Fight TV, yeah. yes. Uh, this was a match from uh, Warrior Wrestling 7, I believe was the name of the show. That is correct. And uh, Tom Lawler versus Minoru Suzuki. Mm-hmm. Uh, friend of the podcast and uh, Minoru Suzuki <laughs> in a match that was really good, as you would have probably expected. And I know having talked to Tom, um, there was a, a couple of matches. I talked to him in January of this year, mm-hmm. and there was actually two matches that he mentioned specifically he was interested in having that he really wanted. Um, one of them was Orange Cassidy, mm-hmm. which he was able to do right uh, earlier this year. And the other one was uh, Minoru Suzuki. Well, good job. And so uh, that one was uh, possibly going to happen, and then um, he got pulled off of a car to do something else. He had a prior engagement, lots of shenanigans, mm-hmm. wrestling behind-the-scenes shenanigans. The match didn't happen, and it seemed like – I think he was afraid that it was that minute wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And so here we are, though, December. And, uh, We're getting it in gets, before the end of the year. Match. And uh, he made the most of it, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, that. That was pretty much exactly what I expected it to be. Um, the the both of those guys wailing on each other, and um, I I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> there was a not match part of uh, Suzuki's appearance there at the end that was pretty amusing, um, where he was leaving the uh, arena or the gym, and he, <laughs> he got. He took a chop from a child in the audience. <laughs> no, yeah, a child came up to him, and it looked like he was like maybe going to do like a high five or something. Like that's what Suzuki was aiming for. It seemed <laughs> right. And the kid just came up and chopped him on the chest, and uh, then Suzuki pretended to choke the child, and uh, it, was, it was good fun. Um, I, I was telling you though, like I assumed that later on in the evening, as that kid and his family were walking back to their car, <laughs> like for sure. They were all brutally beaten by Minoru Suzuki because you, you just can't disrespect him like that. But um, oh my yeah, god, that, that match was just uh, was my favorite on that on that card. But uh, there was a lot of good stuff. It was uh, it looked like it was just like in a high school gym or something. Or yeah, that's what people were saying, like a, a Catholic school gym somewhere and outside of Chicago, right? But uh, God bless them, they worked hard in that Catholic school gym. <laughs> So the, the main event was also worth noting. It's not one of our top five officially, but uh, I definitely want to point out that it was uh, Will Ospreay. Uh, oh, yeah. Amazing Red and uh, Rocky Romero. Oh, yeah. I completely uh, forgot. That match was awesome. Against a, a team called the Rascals, right? Mm-hmm. And they, I guess they're from Impact Wrestling. That, yeah, that's what I heard. So we're not. I, I know all those wrestlers. I don't know them. Yeah, I don't know them from Impact. Appearances, but yeah. right. So we don't know them as a group, but they're a bunch of. Uh, good young wrestlers trey miguel desmond xavier and uh zach went zachary went something like that we'll say that's right okay that could be wrong <laughs> please do, do not use this as your only resource two of those three names i'm 100 percent sure about <laughs> <laughs> but they worked really well with the, this more kind of like established team of new japan oh yeah kind of wrestlers in amazing red uh you know an industry legend on on the scene and uh, it was fast paced. Everybody did all their moves, and then oh some... yeah, yes. Oh, there was some stuff there I haven't seen before. Yeah, um, it was wild. I, I, yeah, I thought that that match was great. I was a little like I remember thinking like, huh, I don't know if I maybe I would have like swapped the order right and made Suzuki like the main event or whatever, but. I don't know. It would have been hard to follow that match. It would have been hard for anybody to follow that match because it was just so uh, crazy. 
Um, so yeah, I really like that match, and I, I like the card in general. Yeah, we was, were kind of flipping back and forth between a couple of different shows, but um, that was that's a good card. Yeah, it was kind of a rough night for uh, combat sports enthusiasts. Or a fantastic a night. Because I, I, I believe Ring of Honor was on as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was like UFC, there was boxing. Um, that was the next night. That was the next night. I think it, that was Friday. Okay. So we were, we were watching this wrestling. on Friday. Yeah. We were watching two different wrestling shows. Well, SmackDown the, was on. Oh, that's right. So there's three wrestling yeah. shows. Oh, or two wrestling shows in the SmackDown. <laughs> uh, we're on. But uh, I thought this one was probably the best overall, if you could believe it. Despite Ring of Honor putting on uh, a better effort for them than they have in, in recent months. Yeah. Yeah. Final Battle was, uh, Final Battle was a pretty good show. Um, I, you know, wasn't. It wasn't Final Battle from last year, uh, but it was still a pretty strong show, especially since, um, you know, we'd been a little down on Ring of Honor. They needed a win for us, and uh, I thought it was a pretty good show. Strong enough that they sold us tickets uh, to their Atlanta event in January. That's right. We're going to go back to center stage and see them live. Yeah, well, it's I just such a great venue. It, had been, um, it hasn't been really that much fun to watch them recently. Mm-hmm. And then they had the uh, a bunch of scandals. And right. it turns out that maybe they don't compensate their talent the way you would want them to. And, you know, stuff that makes you just kind of feel like, oh, do I really want to? It, when you're on the fence. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that can push you towards the no call. Right, right. But um, I think they rallied here. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll give them another shot because it was fun to see that live. Yeah, it was a, it was a, a really, it was a lot of fun live. That was a great venue um, we did kind of put out there in the world that if anybody comes back to that venue, we'll go over there and check it out. So, so you figured it was like an oral concert? I kind of feel like, yeah, we, we got to go back over there. So, uh, <laughs> the the original thing that we had at number four was this Warrior Wrestling 7. Mm-hmm. It, we watched it on Fight TV. It was a pay-per-view. It's one of these tricky situations that they have uh, when they bring in these big-name talents to get the attention you know, now they've spent a little bit more than they're used to, so they have it on pay-per-view. Right. Uh, but it's, I think it's typically available in the High Spots Network. And I think this actual show, if I saw correctly, is now available for subscribers of High Spots. Oh, okay. So, so you, if you wanted to watch it in real time, you had to pay a, a pay-per-view extra. Got it. Okay. Uh, but now it's available to regular subscribers of High Spots. That's my understanding. Okay. But if you do get High Spots, and, and if I am... Correct. Uh, I am looking at no source of information uh, <laughs> beyond my very uh, questionable memory. But uh, it's worth checking out if it is on high spots. For sure. All right. So number three. Okay. Uh, this will be three in a row, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, this is going to be New Japan heavy. Well, I mean, we are heading, we are just weeks away. I know, I can't believe from it. From Wrestle Kingdom. I'm so excited. And, and uh, the bonus Wrestle Kingdom. On the 5th. Yes. <laughs> and two. we'll come right back the next day and do New Year's Now Shop. So uh, <laughs> this has been an angle that we've been following in the comments section. Uh, and this is the the relationship between Kenta and an unseen reporter slash videographer. Um, and, and basically Kenta's shenanigans in the comments. Uh, if you, we've been, We have been huge uh, proponents of this. But, you know, for a long time... Uh, if I'm any indication, like most American wrestling fans think of New Japan and, and Japanese wrestling generally as all wrestling. It's very wrestling centric. It's very serious and sports oriented. Yeah, that's that was really funny for me to learn because, you know, I was sucked in to it so much um, by the personalities 
which of course I was getting to know, uh, you know, in the ring, but also with all of the backstage comments and the stories that they would build back there. Right. So the our kind of like a conduit to the to that world beyond watching on tape was Dave Meltzer and the Wrestling Observer, and so. Um, if you read the Wrestling Observer uh, about Japanese wrestling, even today a little bit, although you know now he's he he talks a little bit more about it. But you would have thought there were no angles, no gotcha. stories, no nothing. Okay. That was just not his, his emphasis. It was all on the matches. Okay. And, and so, um, so we were kind of. I think that led people to believe that there were no stories, and there, it, that personality didn't matter, and it didn't matter if you could cut a, a good promo, and. Um, having now become an enthusiast of new Japan and in particular the backstage comments where they translate the interviews that the wrestlers do mm-hmm. after the show, uh, it, it totally dispels that myth. Right. Because they, a lot of them spend clearly a lot of time and energy on, yeah. on their personas and they're really good at it. Some yes. of them. And I definitely think that it, it, it must impact, um, how the how the company decides to use them because it just so happens that uh, most of the wrestlers that present themselves really well um, are also the wrestlers that they push. Yeah. So anyway, Kenta, fresh from WWE, <laughs> mm-hmm. that was a very Meltzerian <laughs> tangent there. I went on. Um, he is really killing it in these comments. Yeah, and you know, I actually I had said to you that um, you know after kind of a disappointing. G1. I thought I thought Kenta's G1 was pretty disappointing. We we talked about it sure. quite a bit as we did our G1 shows. Um, you know, he was sort of reborn um, when he joined the Bullet Club. And one of the things that I said to you, um, you know, since he joined the Bullet Club and and with his backstage comments and stuff, is that you know it kind of looked like he was having fun with this this character, this bad guy character that he now was. And, um, you know, when you can feel that somebody is having fun, like it, it, it just like, it permeates everything that they do. Like it's they're you know, they're in the ring work, they're out of the ring work, even like their social media. And interestingly enough, he put out uh, like a very heartfelt video to his fans on Instagram just a couple of days ago in which he essentially said, I'm having fun again. Like I am enjoying this wrestling thing again after a long time, like not enjoying this. (laughs) And I just, I feel like you can really, you really get that. Like he's having fun with it. And I I think it's working. Like I think people, the, um, the are coming around to, yeah. yeah, they're coming around to Kenta in a different they're way. Still, they're still booing him. Yeah. Uh, b- because he's a heel. Yes, because but he's a heel, not because they're indifferent to or, him or in the like G1. Or just at his presence right. there, which is sort of what you started to feel there. Yes, definitely. And, and I think that this is this is working for him. And I'm not going to say it's easier to do this bad guy character. I'm not sure if it is or it isn't. But it's he's better suited for it physically and I think emotionally. Uh, to, to, to do this role, like when he was trying to do like his technical tough guy babyface role, right. well, he physically doesn't have that capacity anymore yes. to do it on the level that the New Japan guys do it. Right. You know, you're you're competing there with uh, Okada and, and Ibushi and people like that mm-hmm. who are otherworldly. Right. You're going to look bad by comparison. Mm-hmm. But when you slide into this other role, yeah. all of a sudden, 
like, oh, physically he can do this role. Mm-hmm. And and, uh, and uh, he's happier, the fans are happier, and then the performance is better. Yeah, and, and it's actually, it's kind of interesting because just being a member of the Bullet Club takes a lot of that emphasis, I mean, at least the Bullet Club in this iteration, it kind of takes the emphasis off wrestling, um, you know, because they're basically full of shenanigans, all different kinds of shenanigans. And, and we even saw he was uh, in a pretty... Um, <laughs> heated war uh, war of words with Ishii. And after their match in the tag league, Ishii came back to the backstage comments and basically, like, you know, uh, gave his opinion of the tag team of Kenta and Yujiro, which is that one of these guys only cares about his entrance and the only one, and the other one only cares about his backstage comments. And just like, he just like, you know, what is this? What even is this? And just walked off. And the truth is, is that he's not wrong. There's a lot of truth in there because quite frankly, we didn't get uh, what I would call like a stellar, um, output from Yujiro and Kenta in the ring during tag league, but you know backstage with their with their backstage shenanigans, you know they they were really like putting a lot into that. Yeah, it was one of the things I'll remember from the from the tag league. So the, it was definitely really effective. And so for, if you haven't seen it, like the basically there's like a uh, Kenta is conducting kind of a, a, a secret relationship with one of the journalists, but the unseen behind a camera, mm-hmm. and then. As he points out, like in his own story here, he didn't get the the girl because no. uh, she she was more interested in Yujiro. Um, so, but while he was doing this, he was also conducting a f- kind of uh, fierce feud with Goto, mm-hmm. which involved a lot of fighting and and, and uh, attacking each other. Yes, and then. But also, so he would give these long interviews in which he would do a lot of flirting and some romancing. Yeah, but and then a little bit of talking about Goto, but mostly like flirting. And then he would end it with like a non sequitur, almost always about like uh, Yoshihashi's haircut or something. <laughs> yes. Like so, he's like he's doing business with like three different wrestlers at once uh, in, in these <laughs> comments. It's really remarkable. It's worth watching. You should seek these out. Yeah, and I and I just I thought like. You know this is great because after the disappointing G one, uh, he hadn't had he won the Never Belt, but he didn't have a whole lot going on, and and there wasn't there still wasn't I think a whole lot of reaction to him, and you know honestly you could just sort of die in this tag league, like if you're not if you're not one of the teams that's like competing up right. in like the top quarter or whatever. I mean, like seriously, you could just you know people just lose you know, kind of all interest in like, uh, some of these teams. And, and, uh, I just thought it was, I thought it was really cool to see him have fun with this and find a way, um, you know, to, to sort of keep some spotlight on him, keep people interested in him, even though he wasn't really necessarily having a great tag league. So I should point out because, uh, most people take this, these two months off, uh, that Christina is probably one of the the handful of people in the entire world who watched every tag league match. So uh, kudos to her. I can't claim that. I probably watched seventy percent of them, but she watched all of them. And uh, so I, I just wanted you guys to know she's not letting you know she's doing the work. Yeah, I mean, I I love New Japan wrestling. I love all these personalities. Like to me, like I said, it is it's crazy for me to think about. Um, you know, spending years like you did watching New Japan Wrestling, having absolutely no idea that these guys had personalities. I feel really cheated. Yeah, I, I think I think it's crazy. I think they all have really big, really fun 
um, or really evil, depending on their character and personalities. And yeah, I just, it, it, I love watching how they build stories and how they progress. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, like, at the first inkling that I have that, like, some feud is brewing or whatever, I'll tell you. And because of the fact that they do such a job, such a good job building that, like, you know, I'm usually right. I usually know what direction they're going in. And that's, you know, that's not a bad thing. I think that's a great thing. I think that they do it right if I can see what's coming on the horizon. I think it's really hard for, like, people who are, have become fans more recently to even understand what I'm talking about because, you know, the, the world has become so much smaller. Mm-hmm. So now we're interacting with Japanese fans and people who speak Japanese and the wrestlers and, like, uh, so we understand the broader picture a little right. bit more. But, like, we really were. Like, for, in the past, I think... Your, your, your vision was, uh, what you saw of wrestling was directed by the tunnel vision of Dave Meltzer, mm-hmm. which is sports-centric. And so, like, that's what we all believed it was. That was the, he was the only person talking about Japanese wrestling. And so, you know, I think that we were, we were really done a disservice in some ways. I, like, I'm almost angry about it. Right. Because, um, yeah, I, I think we, 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 there was probably a lot of things to enjoy that we didn't get a chance. But, um, anyway... I'll bring that up with Uncle Dave if I see it again. <laughs> but uh, number two, continuing uh, the tag league, uh, the finals. Yes. Uh, this was Juice Robinson, mm-hmm. Dave Finley yes. uh, against Evil and Sonata. And I'll, I'll, as we kind of hinted at, I think most of the matches in the tag league are fairly skippable. Like there's there, there are no great matches in, until this one. This yeah. was a really good match. Yeah, this was this was just a really really good uh, wrestling match. Um, so Juice and Finley, they they've been pretty impressive um, throughout throughout the whole tour. You could tell early on that they were going to be pushed um, in the in the tour or whatever. I thought they had qu- uh, quite a few matches that were you know better than average tag matches. But in this match in particular, like, I don't know if Finley was maybe feeling a little better or if he just made the decision that, you know, I need to shine right here in this match. But he looked fantastic in this match. And, um, you know, they've in the backstage comments, they've said that they the two of them would like to focus, really focus on on this tag team that they've put together. And um, so I'm I'm pretty excited to continue to see them work together because um, it felt like like it felt like you could watch them gel like through through the tournament. And of course, Finley's coming off a pretty serious injury, so you didn't know exactly you know how ready he was going to be to come back and 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 how close to 100 percent he was going to be. Um, but I I feel like he just got stronger and stronger. Um, you could watch him. He got. He seemed to get faster, quicker. His timing seemed to get better. So by the end, by this match, and of course, Evil and Sonata are a fantastic tag team. Um, by this match in particular, uh, Finley had just a. I thought a really amazing performance in this particular match. Yeah, he he was great, and uh, it, it's good to see him back after the the shoulder injury. You know, it was kind of. Uh, worried about it, but I think maybe uh, what what we're seeing here is like a wake up call uh, on his part. Yeah. That, well, like... you know, it hurt so bad when he he was right on the cusp. 
he had gotten that singles match against Kenny and one of the American shows. And like, he just, it felt like he was right on the cusp of taking that next step in New Japan. And then, and then he's out for, I don't know, what was it? Nine or 10 months. It was a long time. Right. But he was kind of in in this position, I think, uh, where, uh, he could have gone one of two ways, right? So there's like he could just settle into like the lower card of New Japan mm-hmm. and hope that their familiarity with him and whatever goodwill he's he's uh, created for himself could lead to like a long career on the undercard. This is like your Chase Owens, yeah, run, right? Exactly. And uh, the other option is to really push it and mm-hmm. see what you can do. And uh, I think it's easy to fall into the okay, this is what I am, this is what I do, I'm just going to keep doing this. And uh, it feels like coming back now, um, you know, he's, he, he appears to have taken some care to get into better physical shape, mm-hmm. and I, I think the, these are like the big things. Because I, I think he has potential and talent, Right. Um, but if, if you look bad, like that's a big knock. And especially in this right. company where, you know, a lot of the talent looks, they look like male models. Right. And so, like, you've got to present a, a good appearance. So, like, I think, uh, you know, my sense of him from not knowing him at all, but just seeing him in the right. comments is that, like, he's, he, re- this is a, a chance for him to, to reevaluate where he is and what he needs to do to be successful. And I think this is, like, the, perhaps the beginning of that. Yeah, well, I saw, so you saw through the, the tour that um, the this team has the physical tools, um, and, and he appears, he appears you know, to, to look healthy, um, but also I think they connect with the Japanese audience as well. They seem to really like them, um, and, and they have, you know, they, they just, they ha- they're just very likable. They're likable individually. They're very likable together, um, so I'm... I am excited to see where they go because the tag team um, division there in New Japan has kind of just been it's just the only two viable candidates for a while have basically been uh, G.O.D. and Evil and Sonata. And it's just kind of like gone, you know, which way is it going to go year to year? Um, so if they're going to push tag team wrestling a little more, it, it's good to see a good solid team enter that mix now. Yeah, because it hasn't always been like this kind of like black hole of a division, which is what right it is exactly. Now. Like you know when I when I first started watching, like um, you, you had like really strong teams over there. Like you know the Steiner brothers would come there, and the Japanese right. were like, whoa. Well, I mean, when you, you know, and I used to you know gather up tapes, sure, twenty plus years ago, and and watch what was coming in from Japan. I mean tag team wrestling was what we spent a lot of time on. Yeah. And the big stars would wrestle in tag mm-hmm, matches, exactly. which is really the distinction today. Like, you know, you would have like guys like Chono and Suzaki and Hase who would also be like, have singles pushes would, would wrestle in, in, in tags. Yeah. And you know, the, the road warriors would come or then, uh, road warrior Hawk would come and team with Suzaki as the Hellraisers and stuff. Like it was a, a, a big thing. And so it, it would be nice to see them kind of get back to that. The real wild card in all of this is New Japan's um, uh, touring in America next right. year. Right, yes. So like uh, right now it seems like Juice and Finley being pushed into the tag division is not a promotion, right? Like that's kind of like a low-level deal. Right. But, it, you know, it, having an American team with a, a championship is maybe – a a, a path to them main eventing or like being headliners in, in on these American shows. Right. So um, 
it, it could be they have plans for this that are bigger than than this seems on the surface. Like if this was 2018 and they were relegated to being a, a tag team, right? That might not be. You know, that would have been disappointing for Juice, for right. sure. Well, Juice is still in contention for that U.S. championship as well. He's going he's gonna to get his Tokyo Dome shot, so. Yeah, So, but, but definitely these American tours uh, make it really interesting for all the guys in there. And uh, I don't know really exactly what to expect, but it, it should be fun to see how they kind of navigate this new world. Yeah, and we're going we're gonna to be at the Orlando show in uh, February. So, I, you know, I'm interested to see, like, what these cards are going to look like when they come over here. So we have, like, I think four shows scheduled for the first two months of 2020. Yeah, it'll be crazy early on. It's a crazy winter. Everybody's coming this way. Yeah, down I mean, south. mean, can you blame them? Of I, course. This is where I'd be in the winter. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> All right. So number one. Number one. So this is kind of like a combo. Like, mm-hmm. uh, specifically, the moment that we found to be the top moment of the week in wrestling was finally, after weeks of doing God knows what, right. Kota Ibushi snapped a little bit. Uh, Okada got in his face, pushed him a little bit too far, and found himself getting whacked in the head with that uh, number one contender's briefcase. Yeah. Well, if you are a listener of the podcast, you know that we have talked on a couple of occasions about the weird buildup um, to the to this main event match on January fourth between um, Okada and Ibushi, um, you know we it was kind of very low key. Um, you didn't like you for a while they were on tour tagging with each other while not sort of like ever really discussing or um, you know making any indication that they realized like hey not very long we're going to be challenging each other and then they moved to the next tour where um they were across the ring from each other but i mean the problem was is that they were not working very hard they they weren't showing us anything new there wasn't a lot of energy there um their stare downs were very awkward and um and and also it was very one-sided because Okada was basically having his way with Ibushi and he wasn't really putting up much of a challenge. That, that to me, was a very strange way to build a huge Tokyo Dome main eventing, um, you know, challenge for the IWGP title. Yeah, it's, it was definitely odd, but this uh, gave it a, a new energy. Uh, he whacked him really hard with that briefcase, right? In well, room. in during the end of this tour, what we got to see was um, Okada, you know, he sort of picked up that, uh, I don't know, giant dick act that he's been doing. Yeah, so I don't know, like, you know, I'm not um, culturally is familiar enough to really know, but like whatever, however he was saying what he was saying. Yes. Like the ja- when they would translate the, the Japanese announcers talking about mm-hmm. it. Um, it was clear that what what the Japanese understood that he was being dismissive and looking yes. down on. Ibushi. Yes, a lot of times they would um, put in parentheses in the translations like "with arrogance." He did this with arrogance, um, which is real. I mean, actually, you can just sort of feel that coming off Okada. Right. <laughs> He's like the embodiment of arrogance when he wants to be. So I think the story is that Ibushi just had enough of it. Yes, he just he yeah. I mean, he snapped. He brought out that sort of um 
you know, that violent sort of petty Ibushi. And, Which yeah. is the Ibushi you see in matches yes. when he feels disrespected. Exactly. So it's very much in character for him. Like if he feels like he's been disrespected, like he has a switch that turns on. And as we saw in this, it's very difficult to turn it off. Right. And I kind of like that. So he didn't just hit him with the briefcase. No. Then he started like giving him what we would call like uh, quasi shoot kicks. Yes. Like he was really hitting him uh, and he jumped on top of him and was wailing on him. And what I like best about it is like the realism of it. So like normally when you do a pull apart in wrestling mm-hmm. uh, or a fake like MMA angle where they pretend to be mad at each other, right. um, it's real easy to pull them away. Mm-hmm. But in this, like, so this is like, um, uh, an otherworldly athlete like Kota Ibushi, a strong man like Kota Ibushi, like he made it very difficult for them. The, right. You can see these guys trying to pull him away. Yes. And you can see him exerting force. Yes. Being like, no, I'm not getting pulled away. Yeah. Um, and even just like spinning around the person to come back around right. him and go after Okada again. But I, I think there was like, yeah, I'm not saying he was obviously very, really angry with Okada. And right. Shoot, but I think that he really did make them, he was going to make them, in real life, physically drag him away. Yes. And and test them. And, and they were put to the test. It took a few of them. Yeah. And they really had to yank on him to get him off. And I, I thought that was an interesting touch. Yeah. Well, it got me so... I mean, I was already excited for Wrestle Kingdom, but now, like, even more so. And we have three shows coming up this week. We'll get three live shows, um, Road 2, um, Wrestle Kingdom shows, in which we'll get to see everybody again. So, um but that wasn't the only reveal, though, from this oh, show. Oh, no. This show, by the way, is just an excellent show. This is the Tag League Finals. And, and the tag match, uh, the six-man tag with Okada and Ibushi is an excellent match as well. Um, this is the this was really, I thought, the first time um, that you know, they, they really went at it. They really gave it their all. And um, so I, I thought that made for a really nice um, match as well. But, yeah, there was a lot in this show. Well, so I think the big thing is was the appearance in the arena of uh, John Moxley. Yes, a complete surprise. I was completely shocked, to yeah, be I had, honest. I had not heard any rumors that he was going to be there, so that was cool to see him. Um, not only did he uh, challenge Lance Archer and, mm-hmm. and reveal uh, if there were any questions that he wanted his belt back, yes. the United States title, and the announcers, and, and he confirmed uh, you know, there was a lot of speculation when he missed the card. Like, did AEW keep him from doing the event? Right. And it was uh, well confirmed there that uh, actually, no, it was the weather. Or as he said, Delta Airlines. Delta Airlines took that belt for me. So, he said, he, yeah, he said he did not blame Archer for taking the opportunity, but that Archer didn't beat him for that belt. Delta Airlines did. <laughs> but, uh, and not only Archer, though, but like, um, like Tom Lawler, I know that Moxley was very interested as a performer mm-hmm. in mixing it up with Suzuki. Yes. And he got the chance to do that a little bit here. Yes. And, and perhaps that's a prelude to something to, to come. Yeah, it could be. Uh, we also got an appearance on the screen from Jericho. Uh, yes. Once again, reiterating that he's coming after Tanahashi. He's going to make this Tanahashi's last match. If you had any doubts that the Japanese announcers and the Japanese people find Jericho creepy, <laughs> you can dismiss them. They just told us. It's been officially translated. He's creepy. He's creepy. Uh, I'm surprisingly (laughs) excited for that. I've been, if you've listened to this podcast, you you know that I've uh, long been a supporter of this particular match. Mm -hmm. I thought um, physically, uh, speed-wise, where they are in their careers, that I thought that Jericho and Tanahashi would have a good match. They would both 
their mental games are both very strong, mm-hmm. so they'll be able to put together something really smart. But um, without that feeling you get sometimes when Jericho's in with Okada or Naito, that Jericho is, or Kenny, mm-hmm. that, that he's slowing down the right. match. Uh, that wouldn't be the case here. So I think it's going to be the best possible Jericho because uh, people care about Tanahashi and they care about Jericho, and I think that um, it'll be good to see the the two old guys. Yes, uh, and it'll be the it, it will be the best looking Tanahashi that he can be because he is currently involved in some sort of New Japan bodybuilding challenge, <laughs> and and I have to admit he looks good. Yeah, he's they, looking they, really they, good. They really are doing a bodybuilding. Yes, challenge they are amongst the the younger guys, mostly in the dojo, and Tanahashi. <laughs> so. And and Tanahashi. So, yeah, he, he's looking slim and cut, and mm-hmm. he's got some abs showing. Uh, yeah, it'll be a nice juxtaposition with Jericho. Jericho is not involved in this competition. so um, <laughs> And then they, they kind of filled out the, the rest of the two cards. Now, um, if you don't follow it closely, you, you probably know if you listen to this that every January 4th, New Japan, for a couple of decades now, has had their big card. Yeah, and I'm actually I'm going to run down this really okay. fast. Um, but, but also just... Next year they have they will have two yes. Tokyo Dome cards back to back. Yeah, and January they are 4th both and January fifth. Incredible. All right, what you got? So January fourth, and I'm skipping this. There's like a six. There's multiple six man tags, and I'm skipping all that. This is these are just the matches that have like that are like have real consequences. Um, we start with Liger's first retirement match, and he's this is going to be a multi man tag match, and on January fourth. He faces old guys. These are like literal old guys <laughs> and coach for some reason, but mostly old guys from his past, from, you know, Liger's past. And, and they're coming in from all different promotions. I think at least a couple of them are coming out of retirement <laughs> to, to be involved. Um, then on January 5th, he will have another retirement match. And this is where, um, Dragon Lee showed up on the Tag League Finals and asked if he could please, please have a match with uh, Liger before he retired. Then Liger said, I would love to face Dragon Lee. I think he's the future of this company, but I also really want to face Hiromu, who I also think is the future of this company. And so Hiromu and Dragon Lee are going to tag against Liger and Sano. Is that how you say his name? Yeah, he was one of the. He was, I think, the first opponent for Jushin Liger, like in like the late. Yes, 80s. and um, that'll be on the second night. So two two retirement tag matches for Liger: the old guys and then uh, against the young guys. It should be very exciting, and it, uh, Sano is uh, one of like the for like uh, wrestling aficionados, like the super hardcore. He's like considered one of the the hidden greats of wrestling. Not only was he in these great juniors matches with Jushin Liger and others, but then he went and did uh, shoot-style wrestling and did that really well. Uh, he's just a journeyman wrestler who is uh, excellent. So, I mean, he looks like a 1,000 years old now, so I don't know if he still wrestles or anything <laughs> like that. Uh, but Liger said that he wanted Sano to have a chance to experience what it's like in the ring with these new guys. Mm-hmm. So that it should be, I don't know, I, 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 I kind of look forward to this. Yeah, you know it's probably not going to be the display of technical wizardry, but it, it'll be fun. Yeah, 
Uh, then on, then we have the heavyweight tag titles. That's going to be God versus Finn Juice, who just uh, won tag league. The U.S. Championship that'll be Archer versus Moxley. The junior heavyweight title, Osprey versus Hiromu. Uh, Intercontinental, Jay White versus Naito, who we didn't hear from the second half of the Tag League Tour, but, um, you know, they have quite a rivalry going on. And then um, our IWGP uh, title, Okada versus Ibushi. That's all on January 4th, in addition to a handful of six-man tag matches. Um, Then on January 5th, we already talked about the – like a retirement match, they're going to have um, a champion, a six-man gauntlet where they're going to have basically every major faction in New Japan is going to have a, a trios team, and they're going to have a big gauntlet match for that six, those six-man never belts that, um, who is it, Yano, Makabe, and Coach currently hold? Um, then we have the junior tag titles. That's El Fantasmo and Ishimori against Rapungi 3K. The British heavyweight title, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Sonata. U.S. Championship again. So whoever won the first night on January 4th then faces Juice on January 5th. The Never title is a culmination of that Kenta Goto feud that we were talking about. Then whoever loses. The two big matches, the Intercontinental Championship match and the IWGP Championship, they actually fight on the 5th, then Tana and Jericho, and then our big double gold IWGP and IC Championship match. Yes. Those so are the winners from the night before. Whoever wins the main event and the semi-main event from January 4th Dome Show will face each other for two championship belts on January the 5th. Um, so let me ask you, you still got Naito taking it all? Uh, yeah, I think so. You think it's going to be Naito? I think so. I think it, it'll appease uh, some of these hardcore fans for a bit to let Naito culminate his journey. Okay. Uh, I do think Ibushi will get his one day with the championship. One day? You think that you think he'll hold the championship for one day? There's something seems interesting about that to me. It does. It actually seems a little bit Ibushi. It does. And, and, but it, it gives him that line item on his resume mm-hmm. when he does retire that he was a world champion, which right. is which is cool. But also, like uh, like we kind of talked about, like it eliminates him from having to worry about being the champion. And yeah, you know, that. I as much as I absolutely love Ibushi, I love to see him wrestle. Um, he doesn't strike me as like an IWGP champion. Like he just doesn't. I don't know. There is demeanor. It just doesn't seem to fit him very well. Um, so I, I do I actually, I do wonder whether or not they see him the same way, uh, whether or not New Japan sees him as like championship material or not. Honestly, I don't really see Naito that way either. Um, but I think you're right. Um, I, I think, you know, maybe this, maybe this is Naito's time. Yeah. There's a seriousness, um, that's missing in Ibushi, I think, that that prevents him from completely, like, kind of filling that role in some ways. So uh, it, it's kind of odd. And then I also, like, and this is from an outsider's perspective. This is just my analysis of watching and listening to the matches, having mm-hmm. never been there in person. Right. Um, I, I think the crowd likes and respects 
Ibushi, I think it's clear that all the wrestlers really respect Ibushi right. uh, for his, his technical prowess. But I do think that Ibushi is pretty clearly in popularity, at least based on crowd response, is at a level below the very top guys in the company. Yeah. So I don't think he's ever going to be like the standard bearer of New Japan Pro Wrestling. He's just not... I, I don't think they like him enough, the crowd, the audience. I mean, maybe they could change that, but, like, is New Japan really going to fight for Ibushi in his late 30s, an outsider from a different company, you know, to be, to force him on the, right. the public as a standard bearer? Um, I think everyone's fine with him in wrestling the top guys and maybe even winning and stuff, but he's not going to be, like, your longtime champ, I don't think. Yeah. I actually can't just, I, 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 I haven't come up with, I don't have my prediction just yet i'm i'm not i'm not really sure like i don't know i don't know if they'd be so flippant with the championship to to literally have someone have it for one night i don't think it's flippant to like win it in a hard match and lose it in a hard match. yeah i guess that kind of it sort of makes sense yeah i mean the whole premise is based on that and it does it does set up that interesting idea of i know that i know that naito if he in fact takes it all on the second night, is gonna have an issue with the fact that he didn't take it from Okada. Everybody so that's is. right. So, so that that's sets up a, a, a whole yeah. additional story. So I story. think it sets up another big match. Yeah. In, in a way that uh, having him beat Okada in all night two doesn't. Well, you have more experience with wrestling in general. So let me ask you: once you put two belts on one person, how then do you? how then do you take just one of them off that person? Well, I mean, I think that's the the reason you don't see it. Exactly. So it's dumb. I mean, and, and also, like, experience doesn't matter in this case because this paradigm didn't doesn't exist. Well, so one of the reasons like why... When I was a fan, they didn't have an intercontinental right. belt. They didn't have a U.S. belt. They had a, cha- they had a championship, they had a junior's championship, right. and they had a tag championship. It was kind of one of the reasons why I was sort of thinking that they might be going in the direction of simply having Okada win it all. Because he has made abundantly clear that he gives absolutely no shits about that IC belt. Like, I, I wondered if they would get, I wondered if he would actually win the, win the first night, win the second night, and refuse the Intercontinental title. Because he has said, he has no, he has never challenged for another belt in New Japan. He has no interest in anything but the IWGP Championship. I think what's interesting about this, these two nights is that just, just about anything is in play. Mm-hmm. I think the least likely scenario is Jay White leaving with both belts. Damn it. I think that, <laughs> as much, I, I think that that would be like pushing the fan base. Yeah, I think far. it would be too. So I, I don't think he will win the championships in this, in this, on these two nights. But um, other than that, I, I, I mean, anything could happen. So it's, it'll be uh, very interesting. All right. Do we have questions? Yes. All right. The first question comes from John F. N. Cole, and he wants to know, quick question, in your opinion, the most over guy or girl, I assume, in AEW right now, he, uh, he suggests Luchasaurus or Le Champion, Chris Jericho. Uh, who do you think is the most over in, in AEW? I think I'd still point to Cody. Um, I think he by far gets the the loudest, longest, most sustained reaction for pretty much everything he does. Yeah, I, th- I think Cody's the top uh, babyface. Jericho is the top heel. They definitely 
we've been to a lot of the live events, they get the a response that's kind of uh, noticeably different than everyone else. Right. Uh, everyone is fairly popular, mm-hmm. just to be honest. Yeah, that's um, true. So you get uh, Jericho and Cody at the top level, and then just below that, I think you have Moxley and Kenny and the Young Bucks as kind of like the, the next tier. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, kind of they descend after that. But um, I, I do think that Cody and Jericho exist on a level uh, of stardom beyond everyone else right now. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. Okay. So uh, Richie11PM wants to know, um, if you were to start a non-wrestling podcast, what would it be about? Oh, you and I together or just me? Uh, it could be either. I mean, if it was just me, it's probably going to be crafting related. What would you say about crafting? Just that you like to do it? Um, I'd probably review tools. <laughs> what? Okay. I'm constantly buying different kinds of uh, tools and machines to use with my crafting. So you would just be like, this tool is really good. You should buy it. <laughs> probably a little more in depth, but That's yes, the gist of it. that would be okay. the gist of it. So uh, I think that if we were to do one together, uh, it would be probably late to start it now, but uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, oh, my God. We would have been good at that. <laughs> so this is one of the... The lost moments, the lost opportunities in my life. Oh, yeah. Uh, so as they announced that Game of Thrones was going to be a television show, I was still a, a writer. I had written three books for um, ECW Press and was contracted to write a couple more. Mm-hmm. And um, ECW Press, as well as having some wrestling and MMA books, they had started doing these like TV guides right. where like they would take like Charmed or a show like that and mm-hmm. like ha- basically episode guides. Really and, popular in Germany, we learned. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so um, I was a reader of Game of Thrones. Uh, and I just had the, a sense that it was going to be big. And so I, I, I pitched them on it, and I explained that it was a very complicated show, a book, series of books. There was mm-hmm. a lot of characters. There was a lot going on. And that I thought there was going to be interest right. in, that in, in additional information. Like the television show was going to be cool, but there would be a lot of context and things that you could add to it, um, it from the books. Mm-hmm. And um uh, not to pat myself on on the back, but obviously that was correct. There yes. was like a mini industry that existed uh, for the whole time Game of Thrones well, I mean, was on the air. Well, I mean, if you had convinced them that you were right and done the project, then you could pat yourself on the back. Yes, I would have. Obviously, you were just not persuasive enough. Right. I was correct. <laughs> I just wasn't, I, I didn't make them believe. And uh, so, yeah, they, they actually told me that um, there wasn't enough interest. Uh, they didn't. They thought because the show was on HBO, it would have a limited audience. It wasn't like a big network show, and it just didn't really fit with the kind of shows they were doing. Um, and, of course, uh, Game of Thrones became a huge worldwide hit. It had HBO's biggest ever audience, bigger than most network shows, and, and a huge interest in the intricacies. And uh, we could have been, I could have been, with your help, uh, as with your attention to detail, we could have been huge in that space. Um, we would have been right on the cutting edge from episode one, ready to dive into it. And I still have those pitch emails. Um, I can't believe they said no. It would have made them a lot of money. We we would have had a lot of fun. And um, that's not a podcast. But, oh, well. <laughs> um, yeah, that's one of the huge uh, misses I think I've had in my writing career uh, where I took a swing uh, and it was just like a lazy bad fastball right down the middle and I 
should have been able to, to hit it out of the park and instead I just whiff somehow. So yeah, that would have been our podcast, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think that actually, yeah, you're right. That would have been, that would have been good. Did that sound too bitter? <laughs> I got real sad all of a sudden. Yeah, it's kind of somber. I thought it'd be like Aww. kind of like a funny story about how these guys were too stupid to know Game of Thrones was going to be big. Instead, I realized now just talking about it, like... It's just a sad story. A missed huge, opportunity. What a huge miss it was for me, yeah. not just them. Um, <laughs> all right, moving on. Uh, Dante Rose. And, and thanks to everyone who sent in questions, uh, but... I'm sure you're tired of hearing his talk, so we'll, we'll, we'll get some of these the next time. Uh, Dante Rose says, early favorites to win both the men's and women's Royal Rumble, because there are now two Royal Rumbles, which mm-hmm. is awesome, and also wants to know any surprises that could actually happen and help start the road to WrestleMania 36 in Tampa, which I remind you is just down the road, and we should go to that. <laughs> um, so you got any thoughts about Royal Rumble, which I know uh, it's one of your favorite shows uh, yeah. every year. Yeah, I love Royal Rumble. I love countdowns. Um, I, I, you know what? I don't. I actually, I don't have a whole lot of ideas because um, I don't really. I'm not really a hundred percent sure. Like, do we start looking for ideas this early? Are we too early? I don't know. It's hard to really get a gauge on what they're doing. Like, they say that they have the stories planned like a year in advance right. and stuff. Um, you can tell sometimes that's obviously bullshit. Right? Yeah. Um, well, we it was you know we were kind of just talking about like so I w- I actually just um, I was going through trying to figure out what was on some older podcasts and in the middle of September, uh, you and I were already pretty much we had the cards for January fourth and January fifth at Wrestle Kingdom. I like, nailed, I nailed. Yeah, it I mean, well. nearly nearly complete. I mean, we had we had. I would say a good 60% of the matches down. We knew who was going to be facing who for which belts. And that's because even that long ago, they had already sort of clued us in into what direction this was going. Um, With WWE, I don't really know. I see Daniel Bryan and The Fiend on the horizon, but is that going to save all the way to February? Is it going to save all the way to April? Well, so the thing is you have to question, do they think that's big enough? Right. So, is that uh, yeah. even big enough? So I think that my guess would be Daniel Bryan is just another stepping stone for the Fiend to establish his fiendish character. Uh, if I, I know WWE, uh, what they're really doing is preparing Roman Reigns as the babyface to take on the unstoppable Fiend. Okay. So that's the story that makes the most sense. Uh, but then I start thinking like, but oh, the, the fans they're would on, hate that. Roman they're Reigns on different would... promotions. So how are they going to do that? How do they build that? They're both on SmackDown. Oh, The Fiend is on SmackDown. Yeah, remember we saw The oh, Fiend Oh, that's SmackDown. right. We saw The Fiend on SmackDown. Oh, yeah. So, I was thinking because he was with Rollins earlier. So I gotcha. think that's like kind of uh, your most obvious winner is Roman Reigns. Uh, that would completely deflate the crowd at the Royal Rumble, but it, you know they may be building him versus the Fiend. Okay. But uh, the possibility of a surprise is lurking out there in both the men's and the women's. Well, the women's I know because we don't know if Rousey's coming back. Right. So I think that there's a, a good chance that um, Rousey could come back and win the Rumble and main event WrestleMania again against Becky Lynch. Um, I think there's a pretty decent likelihood that that happens. Okay. And and that would be, uh, that would be big. All right. So uh, that that's a possibility, a very real one. 
And then there's one that's uh, kind of lurking out there in the men's division. And it's kind of like a, a, a joke. It has been for years because the crowd chants his name right. and has for forever. Right. Uh, CM Punk. But now it's never been closer. Yeah, he's you know, taken he's, a step closer to actually getting back in the ring. At, for Fox at, at this WWE backstage. Right. Um, and you have people taking some pot shots at him here sure. and there on the so show. He's he's actually his name has been uttered yes. on the programming, um, and so what would be bigger than that? Now the match that I really like for CM Punk though is not against either the Fiend or Brock Lesnar. I, I think the match that makes the most sense for Punk is against Triple H. Oh. Because they have a real real life rivalry, it would be really hot. People oh, and yeah, it. and you have to find something for Triple H to do. It's WrestleMania, of course. So he's going to need to come out with his elaborate entrance. Doom buggy, right? Um, you never know what he's going to do. Some sort of <laughs> which skull mask and which vehicle is he going to be riding? He just has like probably a whole garage filled with like these various creepy skull masks. That's totally normal. Totally normal. <laughs> um, so I actually think that CM Punk could be a surprise return to the Rumble. But I don't think that will lead to him being the main event of WrestleMania. I think it will lead to shenanigans in an eventual match with Triple H. Uh, that's what I would do. So the short answer, uh, Dante, is that we have no idea. No idea. I don't feel confident enough to say. If I was guessing, I would. I think they will have Reigns against The Fiend. That's where they're headed. So if I had to make one guess, uh, it's Rousey winning the women's, Roman Reigns winning the men's. All right. All right. So what else? What's coming up? So next week we uh, have three live New Japan shows, the last three of the year. Um, that's our road to Wrestle Kingdom. Um, I think those cards are already out. Um, so we'll, of course, we'll work on uh, building our uh, our feuds. And, you know, Liger gets to have his final shows um, in several different locations. Like uh, he he was on the back end of this tag league tour um, because those were locations that they weren't. He was not going to be back at before his final retirement. So he'll have a few more of those shows where he'll have a final match and and say his goodbyes. And um, so those are always like a there's a oh, they're a little bit emotional because um, he takes some time to. Uh, say that you know he appreciates uh, the crowds in all the different locations and then they get to show uh, their love back to him and then our next live show it will be uh, January the 1st right yeah AEW takes off Wednesday because Wednesday is Christmas um, so yeah so we'll 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 be back they'll come back in Jacksonville on New Year's Day and so we'll be at that show. Um, and then just a little bit after that, we'll go over to Atlanta for um, the first Ring of Honor show of the new year. All right. It's going to be exciting. We'll have some road reports to kick off the, the year. Hopefully we'll be podcasting uh, more regularly. Uh, back to a weekly schedule, I'm hoping. Yeah, I'm hoping. Um, you you don't have quite as many uh, commitments, so maybe we can, uh, <laughs> so we can be more regular. That. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have as many uh, paid commitments, so we can do this free podcast more often. Um, <laughs> all right, we'll leave it at that. All right, well, we'll tell everybody Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Whatever you do or do not celebrate. I hope you have a great day. <laughs>